Welcome to The Music Reel. I'm your host, Nicola Burton. My guest today is Nick Hampton. Now, Nick is the author of the new Australian music memoir, The Nick of Time, My Life and Career, All on the Record. Nick, it is such a pleasure to speak to you today. How are you going? I'm fine, thank you, Nicky, and it's a great pleasure to be talking to you. Well, now, you're coming to me from the south of France, is that correct? It is indeed, yeah, a, a bleak dark morning in the south of France. <laughs> yeah. Well, look, I, I wonder if, let's start with how things are going over there. You guys are in your second lockdown, is that correct? Yeah, sadly we are. It's just about all over Europe and, of course, uh, England as of tonight. So uh, it's, pretty, it's pretty bad. It really is so pretty bad. You, so there's no pubs and clubs open. There's no festival. There's no live music. You guys are going back to the original lockdown. Pretty close to, yeah. It's just a little bit more relaxed. There's certainly no live music uh, and no, well, virtually no live entertainment. Let's put it that way. Wow. Yeah. What a year it's been for our industry. Yes, it <laughs> now, is. Now, look, almost five decades in the industry with you. Now, let's start off. I'll give the, the viewers a little bit of a background. So in London, you were with Pi Records. And then for CBS Records, you were in Paris as well as London. And then in Australia, you worked with EMI Records. Now, yeah, I'd, love, I'd love to hear the, look, the book to me, because I've been in the industry my whole life. It, it just spoke so well about look, the good stuff, the bad stuff and the really ugly stuff. I mean, it was all in there. It was great. So I want to talk, first of all, how this book came about, why you decided to write it and what was the thing about it that you loved the most with writing it? Well, I'm afraid it started off as a totally personal indulgence. I just wanted to leave some sort of record uh, for my kids and grandkids of what I'd been up to uh, all, all their lives, all my life. And uh, so that's how it started. Um, I then gave it to a few friends. And one of the friends was um, Philip Walker, who I know very well as a music publisher in Australia. Uh, Philip and I have been friends for many years. Uh, he read it. He quite liked it. He also has a print uh, publishing company. And he said that with quite a lot of um, amendments and uh, alterations in style, um, he would like to publish it. So I rewrote a considerable amount of it, very much to expand the part of my life that I spent in Australia, because that was very nearly half of it. So uh, that's how it came about. And uh, then I had an absolutely marvellous editor called uh, Gary uh, Martin, who um, helped me um, put it into um, something that was a little bit interesting to read, I hope. Oh, I really enjoyed the flow of it because you talk about your personal life in the middle of it, which I thought yeah. was a really great way because you've set it up and then you start to talk about who you actually are. So I thought that worked really, really well. And I, I want to talk about um, the artists that you've worked with over the years because people will say to me, oh, my God, it must be so glamorous dealing with rock stars. And you and I both know that it's not. So I'd like to hear from you. Who is the person you loved working with the most and why? I think working with uh, might be exaggerating. I mean, I obviously worked with uh, quite a lot of artists in, uh, in Australia, uh, but I've never really been on the and what we call the A&R, the artist and repertoire uh, side. So most of my dealings uh, with the artists has been on the basis of meeting them uh, socially, meeting in the receptions, 
at launches, at concerts and after concerts. Uh, and that has been enormously uh, rewarding. And of course, I did a lot of that when I was at EMI in Australia. Uh, and uh, that was a very exciting three years. So um, now of the people I most uh, enjoyed working with, obviously uh, in, in Australia, a large number of people come to mind straight away. I mean, Jimmy Barnes, what an absolutely marvelous, larger-than-life character he is, but what a pleasure to be in his company, whether he's singing or, or just talking to you uh, or just sitting down having a drink. Uh, and absolutely great. Um, I've, I've got, you know, a lot of them have been very kind and put you know, nice things in, in my book about, uh, about the book. Uh, but I'd just like to mention a couple who are there. You know, Ivor Davis, another absolutely delightful man. Um, one of those sort of people who are, are not the, the typical rock star when they're not on stage. Uh, they're just down-to-earth nice people. And because of what happened in the last 10 years uh, in Australia, when I got very involved in fundraising for charity, uh, Ivor and Jimmy were absolutely amazingly helpful. And uh, it was always with Ivor, well, both of them really, but particularly with Ivor, it wasn't what, um, what did you think of that, Nick? It was, what can I do for you? I love that because that I wanted to talk to you about that the art of music initiative that you worked on that was part of the fundraising for the music therapy organization yes that was and I just like to mention the third person who really important oh good particularly in that and that of course is Jenny Morris oh yes 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 yeah. yes and of course I knew Jenny Morris from when she was a very young up-and-coming singer, singer in the early 80s because uh, she was signed to EMI and I'm still in touch with her. And uh, uh, she was very, very instrumental in getting the art of music up as the big fundraiser it is. She is, has done some amazing work with APRA. And I think our industry is so much richer because of the work that she has done. The, the contribution that continues to come from that woman is astounding. So yeah, I wanted to talk to you about the Art of Music Initiative because look, at the moment, because the lockdowns have decimated our industry, I'm not sure what it's like over in Europe, but in Australia, we are back at maybe 10% capacity. We've still got quite a few restrictions on the capacity. So, for example, in Queensland, there's a $6,000 fine for every person who dances. Can you believe it? So yeah. there's, it's really killing our industry. So we've got a lot of mental health challenges, and it's put into question the value of music. Now, with music therapy... Um, I'd like to hear your thoughts on the part that that's going to play as a way for people to sort of rekindle their value of music. What are your thoughts on what's facing us? Well, what is, what is facing us is really difficult to predict because there are so many changes happening in so many different ways. Certainly the way in, pitch, in which people uh, consume, if I may use the word, recorded music uh, has totally changed in my lifetime uh, and in fact in the lifetime even of, our, of my grandchildren because it's really been the last 10 years have been absolutely amazing and, and that is I think um, well it's having quite a number of effects but certainly uh, yeah if I can just sort of go on to the sort of music therapy uh, side I think that's enormously uh, important uh, I first knew about it when I was still in England. I uh, met both um, 
Lord Off and Robbins, uh, amazing people. And I got to know Clive Robbins really well in his later life. He came out to Australia quite often. And I, I guess those were the most 10 most exciting uh, years of my life, actually, uh, was uh, helping to um, set up Nordoff Robbins Music Therapy Centre. Excuse me. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, so um, that was both exciting and rewarding, I have to say. And I think it's not just, some people just think it's dealing with people, young people with autism and old people with dementia. But I think one of the most rewarding things about it was the when we started doing what is very often called community music and working with people who are disabled uh, and who didn't really want therapy, they just wanted to play music together. Mm -hmm. And that was immensely exciting as well. And uh, in particular, we got very close with uh, uh, the Quadriplegic Society. Uh, I, I think they're still involved with Nordoff Robbins, I don't know. Uh, but that was really, really good. And I think that's an area where perhaps in the future, uh, groups of people can come together, make music together, and really get an enormous stimulus and benefit from it. Look, I, I agree with you. I, I, I think that, you know, the value of music in that it changes your frequency. You feel better. It changes your mood. It's a way to time travel. And, you know, you might stop live music around the world, but you can't change how music changes our lives. So the work that you've done in Australia, I think, is going to put us in good stead for a very long time to come. But I want to take you back to this part in the book that I loved, Every Mistake Imaginable. <laughs> that section was so funny because some, I mean, I've been in the industry my whole life and I thought, oh, yep, yep, yep. It was, it was brilliant. Now, I, I just want to talk about, and, and everyone else is going to have to read the book, but this part where you were fired from EMI, then you had to try and work out with an immigration, a way to stay in Australia. It blew my mind why you would even bloody bother to stay in Australia after everything you went through. So, you know, that was a pretty crazy time in your life. What is your greatest takeaway for you personally from that experience with EMI and with, with immigration in Australia? Well, I guess the time with EMI uh, was, a, I was there at a time when it was going downhill very, very rapidly. And there have been other books and many articles about that. It really started to go wrong in the 1970s, I'd say, or what, early 70s. Uh, it had already um, merged, EMI had merged with Thorne. Uh, it wasn't a particularly happy marriage, uh, particularly in Australia, I have to say. Uh, but uh, without going into the detail of personalities on that, the difficulty was they were two very different cultures. Um, Thorne had absolutely no background in music as such. Uh, and we were still trying to preserve that. Uh, whereas, to be perfectly honest, Thorne was only interested in bottom line. And, I mean, they used to, if they couldn't uh, sell or rent one television set uh, to somebody, they'd sell another one. And so when we started having problems at EMI by international releases, for instance, not being available for release, it was almost the case, well, you know, if you've run out of Brussels sprouts, sell bananas, uh, you know, and, and that just isn't possible in the record industry. If you don't have something else to uh, put on the market, it isn't there. And you can't always replace the huge international releases that we were 
you know, expecting and, and getting a lot of the time. Uh, why did I want to stay in Australia? Very briefly, had fallen in love with it. Just absolutely felt so at home. Um, had a new partner, of course, which helped, now my wife. Um, and we got so many calls of support from Australians who we'd met over those three years, including, you know, one evening, actually, I got fired because he had heard about it. And he was a, a chap called Phil Tripp, who is a journalist himself, as you probably know very well. Uh, and he just got me on this um, extraordinary uh, two lawyers uh, and uh, they helped enormously to uh, help us get uh, get visas to stay in uh, plus of course a good couple of good friends um, uh, Warwick Doughty and David Hammer uh, with whom we concocted a, a beautiful advertisement uh, for a person uh, that they needed to employ and there was only one person in Australia who could possibly apply for it it was me <laughs> I love it. I love that whole section. It was great because you came to Australia for three years and you stayed yeah. for 30 years. Yeah. Now, I find that extraordinary. And you've been back in Europe, what, about 10 years since about, about uh, a decade? full time. We've been back in Europe for 10 years off and on. Um, but for the last five years, we've been back in France full time. Yeah. So apart from missing the cockroaches in Mount Isa, who wouldn't, what, what do you miss the most about Australia, Nick? Uh, well, all the, all the friends that we made, um, many of whom come over and see us when they can. But of course, sadly, everybody is cancelled this year and people aren't making too many plans for next year. Uh, lots of them uh, do come over and see us. And if they don't always come to the house now, uh, we meet them in Paris or somewhere else. And that, that's so easy because it's a relatively small continent compared with Australia. Um, so that's the first thing uh, we miss. I, I think actually the the work or the another work the uh, association with Nordoff Robbins and um, the Golden Stave is the other thing I miss most because that kept me kept me busy kept me interested and kept me meeting new people too. So uh, those are some of the things we miss. Uh, the reason we're here is mostly so that we can be much geographically closer to. Uh, our family, which is in, in the United Kingdom. And that's the most important reason why any of us relocate anywhere. It's always about family, isn't it? Because yeah. when you've got COVID or anything that happens, that's really the number one thing that drives all the decisions that we make. Now, there's this great part at the end of the book where you say, you know, you've been, it's been almost five decades in the music industry and you saw it move from being a baby, a teenager, an adult, and then finally maturity. Now that we've got COVID and we've got this massive change, what do you see us moving into next? And then the, the other part of that question is, what's the essence, do you think, in our industry that is the key for us to be able to evolve out of this present challenge that we find ourselves in? Well, I guess the thing about the industry is, and particularly the, um, the, the writers and the performers, it's uh, continue being creative. Uh, the creativity is the uh, is the absolute key uh, to the music industry and to the musicians uh, and to the consumers as well. That's what keeps them interested. Um, and the fact that they're now my grandchildren tell, tell me um, taking 90% of their music through Spotify uh, makes a lot of difference in many, many respects. But from the consumption point of view, it means that 
young people are switching on to music and perhaps to a greater extent even than they did, uh, you know, 20 or 30 years ago. Um, it's so easy to get. You just put your headphones in and call Spotify and you're, you're on their explore page and they're finding something new. So um, I think that's, that's both very exciting, but also um, perhaps a little bit daunting for writers and performers because they don't know yet, I don't think, quite how to make sure that they get onto that explore page, how they get uh, promoted. How they can um, cut through the noise because now they're competing with everyone in the world, not just in Australia. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, no, no, I think I think you're right. It is exciting. And we've had this time off performing. So you've got people creating things all around the world, which is a really cool thing. Now, look, this book, Nick of Time, it's available on Origin Imprint and you can actually buy it directly from the website. And anyone who's watching this, if you're in the industry and you're feeling a bit, you know, disdained about the whole state of the world right now, this is the book to really sink your teeth into because it's only from understanding what happened in the past do you actually know how to recover in the future. And I think this is, Nick, it's such a timely book for you to actually publish. It's, I, I've really enjoyed it. Thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to read it. And I want to thank you for taking the time to talk to us today. I've really loved hearing about your story. Nikki, thank you. It's been a really great pleasure to talk to you. I hope we will again one day. And uh, I'm sorry I won't get to meet you in person, but if you're ever over in France, please let me know. You'll be hearing from me. But look, in the meantime, please take care in this second lockdown. Australia won't, we, we're fine at the moment because we're in summer, but just know that we're thinking of you guys up there and hoping that it finishes before Christmas. So Nick Hampton, please take care and I will see you next time. Thank you, Nikki. Thank you.